0: Spook! Yes! What have you got there? Well, Sly, like, um, with the release of the Magpie button coming out this week, to uh, much applause, I uh, had the technical team at the RAN come up with a device that I'd like to call the CSN button. So what does that do? Well, you ask it a question, when I push the button, it'll give you an answer.
1: What are Collingwood's chances of finals this year? Collingwood shift me. Can't argue with that. Should Nathan Buckler remain coach? Let's ask.
0: Collingwood shift me.
1: Again, I can't argue with that. Should we bring back Eddie Maguire as president? Good question.
0: Collingwood shift me.
1: Fairly consistent. I don't know if there's going to be a marker for that. Uh, Yeah, maybe we got it wrong.
0: Why don't we try the official... uh...
1: Collingwood button. Magpie button. Cool. So what happens when you push the button there? I'm not
0: entirely sure. Should we give it a go? Let's go for it.
1: Welcome to the Collingwood Rant. I am Sly. And I am CSM Spook. Well Spook. Yes. I think we might have lost to the Gold Coast Suns. Did it come as a great surprise to you? It actually did come as a surprise. I don't know, when I say great surprise, I kept thinking... It wasn't <laughs> a great surprise. I've had great surprises before. Given where the Suns stand in the great scheme of things at the moment, I thought we'd get over the top of them at some point. You did tell them to win last week. Well, it's the first time I've tipped Collingwood this year. Yeah, you you track him well. Oh, well, I've got all the other ones right. I don't even want to go into the game. This is a clusterfuck of epic proportions. <laughs> I all the all the hallmarks of what's happened at Collingwood are there on display: the poor skills, poor decision making, the poor shape around the ball, terrible forward entries, weird selections. I mean, Jay Rantel as your medical sub.
0: Why would you play a kid there? Um, well, no, you've got to look at this uh, logically. He dominates in the midfield in the VFL. Yeah. He gets a call-up. See so you play him at high half-forward. And then your reward for uh, not performing well in a position you probably never played in before. The following week, you get to be made medical sub. Your career is based on these moves.
1: I'm not being facetious. Josh Thomas is the perfect medical sub.
0: You're being facetious, aren't you?
1: Because you're not really losing anything from on-field. And if you have got to bring him on for like a quarter, two quarters, whatever, at least he's got experience and some background in that, you know, maybe he'll have a little bit of an impact coming on. He's, you know, an older player and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that position is really tailor-made for someone getting on in their career who might actually benefit from playing less football, but consistently playing. I think we'd all benefit from less football from Thomas. like I said, I don't want to go into the game too much because will. Really no, no, I'm not going to go into it. I'll go on. What is broken at this fucking club that's now becoming I think apparent the, for everyone? The pertinent question would be what isn't broken at this club? Alright, so the player, you, you've said this the whole year. You said this back in round one when we lost to the Bulldogs. Oh, this should be good. You didn't feel like playing for Buckley. Still don't. Oh, and that's actually starting to now show up. Not saying everyone. Obviously, Brady Myershek had a good game. Josh Dagos had a good game. A few players tried, like Jack Crispinak. Brady Grundy looks a total shell of a shell of a shell <laughs> of a man. Uh, of a very desolate man. He played. Well, he was against two novice journeymen, nobody, Ruckman, who probably killed him around ground. Darcy Moore looks, I mean, obviously he's not playing a lot forward, but geez, you know, again, who is it, Collingwood? He looks injured, and Pepperberry looks like age is catching up. Side bottom looks totally ineffectual. And then you have this swath of mid-range players who just aren't really doing enough. Guys like Braden Maynard, um, Noble tries, Crisp tried. Um, Hoskin Elliott, I thought, probably had a better game from Hoskin Elliott. But again, that's the standards now down here. What do they do now? At what point the column would just say this is it? Do you want me to get the button again? If I, or if you can, nuke us. What do I actually want to look at media? The last few weeks, they're all coming, or not all. The bulk of them are coming out saying,
0: re-sign Nathan
1: Buckley.
0: It, it staggers me the amount of leeway that uh, that the buckle is getting at the moment.
1: Kane Corns wrote an article, or was quoted as an article. He was on SCN, their radio. Oh, sorry, their website and the radio station. Was he was he trolling with this one? He likes to troll. I don't know what he was doing. So, this is Kane Corns. Buckley is partway through his 10th season in charge and there is a myth circulating that 10 years is too long for a coach at one club. <laughs> a myth. A myth. A myth. What Who, would that be propagated against?
0: The uh, fact that uh, we don't have too many uh, 10-year non-successful coaches in the uh, k Um,
1: Get back to that in a minute. Who hasn't won a premiership? I wonder why that is. Why do people believe that? Uh, and do we discard coaches too quickly? If 10 years is too quick... <laughs> then fuck me. I don't know
0: what... This is the media who hasn't set any precedence about paying for blood uh, any other year. Yeah. Year, decade, century. I know
1: some will address it. Molotov's got 12 years. um, In his 10th year, he hadn't won the flag. Technically, they fined him in his 10th year. It just took two years to take effect because they said, okay, Buckley's now going to be his successor and it's going to occur in two years' time regardless of what happened, which is what they did. But in terms of comparisons... Malthouse took a wooden spoon, to, wooden spoon team to the two grand finals, lost, decided that wasn't going to cut it, rebuilt, and then from 2006 pretty much trended up. 2 7, they made a prelim, 2 8, yep. they took a few steps back. 2 9, prelim, 2 flag. So if you're just going to go purely on form, and particularly if you look at the way they played, um, 207, they lost uh, Nathan Buckley to retirement, James Clement to retirement. There's um, a thought. There's a few others there. So it was like a very transitional period also where the new blood took over. You tended to see the way they were playing. In 2009, they played for a lot of that year with the effectiveness that they where they used the press the following year. So you really saw what was happening. You really saw the build taking shape in front of you. Buckley took over a grand final, a premiership list coming out of a grand final two Two years, they dropped positions. And then four years, they missed the finals. One year they came back to a grand final, and then two years they've gone back down. They're going to go a lot further down this year. Based on the existing, I mean, and this is the one thing that I hate about what the fuck the, the the media are saying. It's like people aren't making this determination on what's happening this year, this one and six record that we currently have. They're making it on what we've seen in the past. What we saw, what we saw two fourteen and two seventeen. What we saw two nineteen at was starting at Avon What we saw in two twenty. And what we're seeing now, for whatever reason, Nathan Buckley and his coaching brain trust of Robert Harvey and Brent Sanderson got there a little bit into the tenure, but
0: it's a contradiction in terms brain trust.
1: Brain's mistrust. They just can't get this game plan to click consistently other than one year in eighteen, We keep seeing the same sort of stuff. They lack shape, they lack skills, they make poor decisions. Um, they try hard, they're, they, they're not even spirited now. Previously, they've always been spirited on oh, the Buckley. No, no, they're flat as at the moment. It's a very much Endeavour-based <clears throat> game plan, other than 218, where it was this chaos, sort of Richmond-type of game plan, which they've abandoned, because why would you use that it was the one year you, you played well? Nah, we got no room for success. Michael Gleason wrote an article, um, and he said, as part of this article, he, he was one of the few critical people, he said, the players look tentative and worried about making a mistake f- for as if all teams playing badly, they lose freedom and flow in their game. Ordinarily, a youthful team such as Collingwood, with five players with fewer than five games in them, play with excitement and dare. Collingwood look burdened. Collingwood need to release the shackles and simplify their game. If the coaching brains mistrust have not worked this out by year ten,
0: why would you give them another two years? I don't really, I can't answer that, and I'm not even going to try and answer that because it defies any form of logic that I that I think I might even possess. See, the thing is, like, uh, looking at this um, sort of externally, I think there's, there's got to be two reasons that the, the media are so pumped on on, on keeping um, Bucks at Collingwood. Um, the first one is, is obviously, look, he's genuinely a nice guy. He probably uh, gets along well with everyone. They feel probably a little bit defensive towards him, and maybe they're just sort of going to bat, that, that sort of uh, mate structure. I, I don't know. The second one is is that these people work in the media, nothing sells papers more than uh Collingwood. Collingwood. You keep him in that job. Geez, your job for the next two years looks easy because you can expect that from next year and and we're rebuilding and if we retain bucks for another two years, we're gonna plummet badly, everyone's going to be angry, there's all sorts of hatred already coming out now that'll just be amplified, the media just sit back and pick at the bones of the carcass of this, and will thrive for years. And I purposely think that some of that motivation to, to, to push him is, is in that direction. X-Player Watch, which I'll factor into this. That was a fair old segue to that.
1: Yeah, I'm going to get back to the backwoods. Tigers defeated Dogs by 22 points. Trelaw, 15 kicks, 12 handballs, 5 marks, 5 tackles, 74.1% disposal
0: efficiency.
1: 0.1%? 74%. So he's disposing the ball well for all the people who kept telling me, oh no, he used the ball horribly. Saints smashed the Hawks by 69 points. Phillips, 8 kicks, 12 handballs, 3 marks, 3 tackles, 75% disposal efficiency. Did more butchery there? Um, Melbourne defeated Ruiz by 30 points. Stevenson, 13 kicks, 5 handballs, 7 marks, 2 tackles, 1 behind, 77.8% disposal efficiency. It was speculated at the time, how was exiting these three players in the circumstances in which they were exited? I mean, people kept telling, oh no, this happens at clubs all the time. And I kept saying, no, it doesn't. It really doesn't. You know, if you want to compare it to like Essendon, who lost three players last year with Danaher, Fantasia and Saad all leaving, they all wanted to go. They all said, fuck off Essendon, we're out of here. We're off the greener pastures, we believe. These three guys didn't want to go. They wanted to stay. So totally different circumstance. So people who fucking make those comparisons, you're so fucking wrong that I cannot believe it. And then you compare it to Giants who've had, again, players wanting to leave for green and pastures. The only one I know was, um, I think it was Dylan Shield a couple years ago. Or One of the ones that went into Essendon. He had a year to run on his contract. And he they said, well, look, just go fine because we can't afford one player. Collingwood pushing out these three players. There's a big lot of speculation. What was going to happen to the playing group? The defenders are going. Oh, it happens all the time. You know, players are traded out. Like again, not in those circumstances. Don't forget that the players wanted these players out. And that's the other thing. So the way it played out in the media, particularly towards Adam Trelaw, I mean, you get Adam Trelaw and he's got that puppy dog face, and you think, how could you ever be mean to that guy? And this, this, you're a bastard, Adam. And you come out and you say, I love that club. I wish I finished my career in there. I love the players. What a sociopath this man is, isn't he? No, he's a, he seems like a fucking awesome, honest, heartfelt guy, and he's declaring his love for the club, and people are still just taking potshots at him. And you sort of look at them going, how is that going to affect... This guy's proclaiming his love for you, and you're going, we don't think you're going to be able to cope with your wife in Queensland next year. We're, worried. We're so worried about your mental health, we want to get you rid of you for pick five. How the fuck does this plan in the playing group? I think we're seeing now that it's resonating from the playing group and there's players obviously there who have had very fractured trust with not only the coaching staff, but also the admin who oversaw all this. It's
0: the whole kit and caboodle. There is change coming at Collingwood. I think it's it's fairly evident. Um, People naturally tend to resist change a fair bit. And, and in the resisting of it, it's also you coupling in the, the maybe we don't have that much faith in in what the coach is telling us after the debacle this year. You you know that you've got uncertainty coming. Everything is impacting upon this playing group in that area. It's not just that one thing with with No, the, no, with not, it's a big it, build-up. It, it, it's, uh, it's the whole pie. But this is the thing. It's I, everything coming at different angles. Thing, I
1: don't want to lay this all on Buckley because, he, as I said before, he didn't oversee the salary cap as far as I know. He didn't sign the contracts or all no. that. That came from above, and they determined the strategy of let's overload the cap. And this is the ridiculous thing to it, which probably, you know, I'll go on about how bullshit this strategy is. But if you look at the strategy, okay, so let's work it out. Coming out of the premiership, the club said, let's change the coach. Let's go with this guy. Okay, that's your decision. You know, at the time, I thought, okay, this could work or this should work. He struggled with the playing group. There were issues there. He then traded out. Four years, you missed the finals. You then apparently overload the cap for Premiership contention for two years, I'll give you three years, and then you're rebuilding already again. And when are going to see finals again? What, another four years? Oh, at this stage, yeah, you wouldn't think... I mean, the problem is, too, with this playing group, you look at it, you have all these, You have 24 players with under 50 games, and I think it was um, 17 under 20, and I think it was 14 under seven games. And that's only because Rusco has seven games. You're actually 13 under four games. Mm. So, And now the games are being a little bit inflated because people are playing fucking the medical sub, and they're not getting on at all, like McCreary and Rantel. You have such a underbelly of inexperienced players, and then you're going to have guys like Pendlebury and Sidebottom and Roughhead and Howe and Greenwood and Main all go out. you got Grundy at 28. you got Adams at about 27, 28. you got Crisp at about 27, 28. So let's say we all go to the draft. Let's say even we had the top five picks next year, which we don't because we traded it to the GWS. But even with the top five picks next year, it's gonna take two or three years to get games into these guys. So by 2023, 2024, all those guys I mentioned, will either be gone, or will be in the twilights of their careers. So then the new disparity opens up in terms of experience and the list profile and what, it, what positions you need to address. And you have no guarantee that guys like Darcy Moore and um, McGowey. Jordan McGaughy won't just say at the end of next year, I've had enough. I've had enough. You guys are at the bottom. I'm going to go to a club that's in contention. And they'll jump. And then you've created new holes. The list of these people have manufactured, you've totally fucked it up. You've actually heard it to the extent... People are going, oh, there'll be a quick turnaround. I can't see that actually happening. It's not like um, you go back to 206 to 2010 when they... I would
0: mind going back there. Oh, I'd love to go back there.
1: Where they brought in Pendles and Thomas and um, Reed and Brown and Deans and Sidey and... Dawes, and all these players, and they were getting games into them while guys like Bucks and Burns and LaCuria and Wakeland um, and Clement and Rocker, they were all on the way out. So you had this seamless transition. That's not happening here. Buckley lost his opportunity to play kids last year, which oh. I thought would have been the optimum year to play. We didn't play anyone, really, did we? Oh, Rusko well, got about yeah, three games, yeah, that was it. and that was it. But meanwhile, kept pumping games into hoskin Elliott and into Thomas. Rosie thought, well, these guys are only getting 10 positions. Surely that's the time to give Rantel a run, or Bianco a run, or Nathan Murphy, or whatever the case. That's when we should have been pumping games to the place. We didn't. And if you go back to 99, again, there's another transition period. I mean, Malthouse inherited a side that had the two rockers, um, Presty Buckley was the best player in the competition at the time. Lucuria Burns, Nick Davis, um, Andrew Shawball, Paul mm-hmm. Williams. He actually inherited a good core. Where the fuck is that now? You might say like Dugowie and Law, but again, the way we have this... Dugowie just hasn't realised his talent from 2018. No, no. I recall in two nineteen, uh, media were comparing Petraka and the and everyone's going, oh, Dugowie is so far ahead of Petraka. It's an unfair comparison. It's now flipped. Petraka is so far ahead of Dugowie that you're looking at Dugowie and going, what's gone wrong here? And I, I put that down to a coaching staff. I think whatever their instruction to the players is, it's grounded out his natural instinctiveness and flair. And he just looks like someone who's, actually a really good comparison is Dane Swan. Dane Swan under Mick Malthouse up to 211 was just this ubiquitous midfielder who kept getting the ball and was dangerous and did awesome things. Under Buckley for the most part, he just looked like a, a drone. He had a couple of good Anzac days, but otherwise he was getting 30 possessions, but he never seemed as damaging. He just sort of seemed like he was an accumulator who wasn't doing much damage. In terms of this playing list and where the thing is, would you? So you wouldn't re-sign Buckley next year? Oh, definitely no. No. Would you get rid of him right now if you had the power?
0: Um, so this is a two-edged sword. The, the easier answer is yes, because it just feels like you have enough, and anything coming in is going to be the harbinger of some change. Um, you're almost though. I mean, the, the reality is you have got to bring in um, or elevate uh, Sanford or um, and Harvey into the role which Sanford and his son sorry what's his name Sanderson um, it's definitely not Sanford <laughs> I, I'd bring Sanford in though because he sounds good he sounds a lot better than Sanderson um, but the thing is apart from the laughs you can't see what they're going to do any different they've been there a hundred years under his yeah. wing um, I mean you, you could take a punt on something but they won't it's Collingwood they have to have something with profile there or to, to to offset that one decision that they're gonna to make to move him on. So I don't think they will. I mean, they're gonna keep him. I think the instruction will be to, to play out the year, um, play the kids. Um, positioning really doesn't matter, although technically, I'm not sure we're gonna talk about this. It does have an impact um, on things, um, but you then. The, I mean, the other issue too is 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 it well unless something miraculous happens in the mid season draft, you can't even inject any new. Blood into that, so we, no. we, well, I'm talking blood with you. No, well, not new blood. That's probably the wrong term. Um, bringing some experience in from from another level. Well, they we just don't have any. Well, you go back to yeah.
1: 2001. We we're talking about this a little bit earlier. So two, 2000, when Malthouse first came in, he inherited that good core, and then he got rid of all the rest. And I think in the. I can't remember the exact figures, but in the first two years he was there, he got like rid of like 30, 32 players or something. So he really cut the deadwood. And at the end of 2000, when we'd gone through a draft, and they were really sort of throwing the net far and wide and you know, going for guys who were experimental and all that sort of stuff, and they lacked experience. Then come the end of 2000, they recognized they lacked experience, and they brought in um, James Clement, Brody Holland, Carl Steinfeld, Shane Wakeland, uh, Jared Malloy. So they brought that experience in. Now, they're not going to be able to address all that in one draft here. No. And if they're addressing it in the draft and they're getting the recyclables, I mean, Shane Wacon was a recyclable at that time because he'd done his Achilles and secured it thought that was it for his career, but he became a really good uh, fullback. I don't see how Colin would have this list because now we go into what you just mentioned before. You've traded out your first round pick for next year. What did the administration think in terms of trading out that pick? What do you think they thought, what
0: do you think that they believed they were going to give up? Um, Well, I think this, this, again, you answer this in two parts. I think what we, and we've we've covered this a little bit, so I won't dwell on it too much. they overinflated what they thought they were going to get in terms of return for the players that they pushed out. Which, again, look, that was a, that happened before. I don't know how, when this decision was made to move on the the first round pick. It, it seems like um, what you were highlighting a, um, a little bit earlier that it, it seems to be a, a well, knee jerk reaction, well, should the PR exercise because they messed
1: up the exit of those players and did someone at a higher level say, "We need a big draft haul to show that." We're actually being proactive and there's all there's a there's a method to the madness well, here that makes sense um, after what happened how misguided were they to actually believe they'd probably finish top 10 so that pick they were given up would probably be 10 11 12 13. well I think that's
0: that is a a, a factor as well I mean really the, the the prime I think motivator for off offing that pick and they've, they've really at least been honest about saying this is that they thought they were going to get shafted them at a bot with, with with Dacos. Whether we had pick one, two, three or whatever, we were going to have to surrender that when somebody bid against him just to get the points to to get him. So I think they thought jettisoning that was the was the um, the better tactic to take. However, though, that was still going back to what I was saying before is that they wanted to pull in those picks they were going to get for those players. I think that surely was part of the whole strategy, yeah. that the, giving that away... Was, it was a sound enough thing to do, um, but we were going to have these other things sitting there on the sidelines.
1: But how realistic was it to, for them to believe that the pick they're giving up is going to probably be 10 or higher, mm. given that they just gutted the list of free players? And in terms of the list, okay, so you look at this they got rid of Phillips, Trelaw, and Stevenson, but they also lost Scharenberg, Reed, Beams, Langdon, um, Varco, even Broomhead. So they've lost like nine, ten senior players. So what's, what's happened is what the danger the danger existed last year was, hey, we've gotten rid of all these players. If we get one or two injuries, we're immediately into the youth yeah. now. And the problem too is, sorry, just when you look at that team that you're fielding, let's say that's your default team, even before you start tapping into the depth, you have guys like Callum Brown and Tyler Brown and Hoskin Elliott and Josh Thomas who are just serial underperformers as it is. So you've already got four players in there who you're carrying to an extent, and like they might become good players or whatever. Oh, sorry, two of them might become good players. Josh Thomas is on the other side of that now. But surely you should have been looking at game. We've got a core of about good four or five players. We've got probably about another eight to ten role players, but then it's just plummeting. And in case in that regard, we've got like 15 players who we need to never, ever, ever, ever get injured at this club for us to remain competitive. Well, that's a likelihood. And surely someone should have said, well, the probability of that is imp- it's not going to happen. And then we've got to look at the other side of, you know, Maine's already having issues with um, concussions and Greenwood's struggling at that age. He's come back from a knee and Pendles is 33. So we've already got three or four players in that core that we expected to stand up who we don't know how they're going to fare as they get older. So, again, taking Buckley out of the equation and the coaching staff, who in the football department thought this was a good strategy in any way? Because it makes no sense to me that anyone who looked at it in a measured way could imagine this was going to work.
0: But that's the thing. I mean, it, you looked. Well, they would have looked at where we finished last year. I mean, for the bulk of last year, we, we sat in the top four. We we dropped down to the to the bottom half of the eight. We we had a spirited finals win. They obviously thought there was still something with this list that was going to click. Now you offloaded three key components of that. In your in your draft, you had a number of retirees who sort of drifted in and out of the side, but it's still senior experience. They seriously must have thought that they were going to be in a better position this year to still probably finish somewhere in the eight, and they've completely misread. Oh, look, no, maybe, misread. I mean, the thing of guys like Reed
1: and Varka, I know they weren't like Reed had constant injury problems. Uh, injury problems.
0: So did Vark's at the end. And
1: Vark's. but the thing was, if you had an injury, if you had a hammy or something like that. Let's so say, like, you look at um, Howe getting injured, and that's two to four weeks, you'd, think, you'd imagine. That climb could be 20 to 40. But you get Howe getting injured, you think, I can bring Reed up for two weeks. He'll last two weeks, and he should fill that like spot, and he's a senior body. You hope. That
0: was a funny joke.
1: Or Scharenberg. We could bring Scharenberg up, and he'll, you know... I don't know so I don't know why they suddenly went cold on him, because he seemed to figure in their plans early on. But I'm just sort of saying, they had senior bodies in there who they could bring in as stopgaps until the other guys got back. Now, again, you're getting injury, so. Or you make a change, you bring in Mark Keane. Mark Keane gets suspended, you're bringing in Will Kelly to play that role. And it's like, all right. You have no experience and you've already got an inexperienced underbelly to that side. So now you've got even more inexperience in this side. How's it going to click? And now we're going back to 214, 217. This is exactly what we saw back then, which is what frustrates with the media because they're saying, give Buckley another two years. It's like, I don't want to watch another two years of this shit. No. And I don't want to blame Buckley again. The whole football department across the board has to fucking go. The only person who should keep his job at this moment is Graham Wright. Yep. Um, Being new to that football department but I'm talking about, like, everyone from Hine, who, you know, they highly rate, down to, you know, the bootstutter, to the president, Mark Corder. I mean, Mark Corder, they should have just sacked last week when you said, I think we'll make finals.
0: It's he, like, c- he clearly was flagging his delusion.
1: And he goes, oh, if we won, we would have been one game outside the eight. It's like, well, Mark, where was that, you know, mathematical acumen when the fucking salary cap was $2 million over? Maybe that was his pre-match address.
0: If we win this, we'll be one game outside of the eight.
1: And Buckley gets the focus of all this, but it's not just him. It's the whole fucking club. No, no. He's in total disarray. And they want to sell that they're um, in control of all this. Like, this is all part of some grander plan. I mean, Buckley, to me, each week when he comes out, he's looking more and more uh, broken in terms of realising... I finally had the list I probably was going to get it as good as I got it and then they gutted it right out from under me because of their shit salary cap manager. And again, that's not his fault, I imagine. You brought up an interesting point um, very angrily where you said if you criticise Buckley or the club or whatever, you draw the fan, I uh, sorry, the sheep. They come at you and say, well, you're not a real
0: supporter. Yeah, that really does irk on me. I mean, you, you can't question anybody's love of the club or or um, the faith they put in anything um, if it's in conflict with yours. You know, everyone's entitled to their own separate opinion. Look, and if you're happy to, to sit there for the next three years and wallow in mediocrity and not see any improvement... Right, you no, know, you'll
1: be below mediocrity.
0: More power to you, you. know, If you can go to, to bed at night and think, well, geez, we, at least we gave it a red-hot crack. Get behind the boys. We all love them. I mean, they're great sentiments no matter what, but Jesus Christ, you've got to be realistic about this stuff. And the shit show that we're in at the moment is a byproduct of of years of of mismanagement that's now come home to roost. There is right for people to be angry about this. And and there's right for people to expect some form of change, to to, to flag that there is improvement on the horizon, give us all something to look forward to. Christ, the the crowd numbers this week were testimony about where people are. This is the same thing that happened towards the end of um, '17. um when the yeah. the apathy really set in yeah you know, this this belief that the the supporter base will will rock up no matter where we are on the ladder it's it's something that happened 10 years ago and it's not going to happen again the realism of where we're at now has been reflected in the people and they're voting with their fate well the thing that
1: I think really wrong about the way the sheep will, um, think. I mean, they were saying, well, if you're not going to go on, um, you know, when did we play? Fuck, I don't know, Saturday, Sunday. If you're not going to go on the weekend, you're not going because we're not winning and you're not a real supporter. Oh, and, it's as
0: simple as that, isn't
1: it? And you brought up uh, the Colin turtle had a tweet which just sort of talked about his disappointment was where the club's at. Uh, and then all the sheep came out and go, oh, well, we'll see you back when we're winning, no doubt. And then I responded just saying, well, yeah, it's not about the salary cap mismanagement. It's not about the players you trade out. It's not about the lack of the game plan. It's not about the way you mishandled the do-better report. It's not about any of all this shit going on. It's just about the wins in your fucking minds. And the thing that really annoys me, the real, the thing that's really fucking moronic is that, hey, if you're just meant to accept everything, then all you people who like love Eddie McGuire, he never would have came on board because you would have just had to accept the mismanagement in the 90s, taking the club downhill. Eddie should have not come and challenge them because it's like just accept what's there okay just leave it you got to be satisfied with the status quo that's the, that's the that's the prevailing attitude there so you can never challenge or question anything you just got to take what it is no matter how shit because you have that stupid belief that one day things will be better and you know what it doesn't fucking work that way because like clubs like Carlton approving Melbourne did it for quite a while you can get all the draft picks and all that in there but if it doesn't click sometimes it just doesn't click mm. And when it is working well, you shouldn't fucking sabotage yourselves. But you should definitely not have the arrogance to sort of have an okay list because I don't think the list under Buckley was great. Again, not Buckley Salt The list they assembled for him, they had. And I've defended Mason Cox, but they had an American basketball as their full forward. They had a rookie as their center, a rookie rookie defender as their center half forward. The two fullbacks they had to get from Melbourne and Bulldogs are basically castoffs. They've done really well for us, you know. Thank you to mm-hmm. Dunn. Dunny and um, to Roughhead. But I was sort of saying, in terms of their list management, it's like, shouldn't you be addressing these positions through the draft and getting the best talent in? Wouldn't you rather have, you know, a Ben King at full forward rather than a speculative, you know, international pick? And, you know, Cox has done well for us. And again, I, I feel bad for Cox because, like, we deliver the ball so poorly and then he doesn't take miracle marks and kick nine goals every week and everyone's like, oh, well, shit. It's like, maybe look at the service coming in. Or well, Moore's proving that. Yeah. You know, it's this whole thing of if you can't... If you never hold anyone accountable, then nothing will ever change and it's just going to go to shit. And clubs have proven this. And again, it happened to Carlton too. Look, Carlton is effectively in the hole that they've dug because of the hubris of the previous... Well, the, the, the John Elliott administration, which was really powerful in its first 10, 15 years, and then it just started to slide. And then by the end they were imploding. They had salary cap issues. They um, had, oh, Elliot got ousted. They brought in the coaches trying to trying to be a stopgap saver in terms of Dennis Pagan. They traded in all these players that didn't work for him. They've been at the bottom of the ladder. They picked up all these number one picks, still didn't work for him. And that just shows you, well, hey, if it goes to shit, it can really go to shit for longer than two, three years. But All those people running around, going, oh, we can turn around really quickly. Well, hopefully we can, but geez, with the pieces we have in place, I can't see it fucking happening. Yeah. If you were to change the coach, let me throw some names at you. Would you use on the existing assistants? Sorry, say it again. What was the second part? If we're going to change the coach, yep. would you use on the existing assistants? Oh, no.
0: Sam I was Mitchell. going to say fuck no, but that seemed a little bit too heavy-handed. Oh,
1: fuck you. Let's get angry. Sam Mitchell. Uh, yes, definitely.
0: Alistair Clarkson. Uh, yeah, Yes. Gary Hocking. Uh, left field, but um, he seemed to do well with the midfield when he was with us, so Yes. My one question with both Clarkson and Mitchell is
1: Clarkson pioneered that kicking game at the Hawthorne, that short kicking game, which is what Buckley's tried to copy to an extent, and I'd hate for him to come and go, well, that's my one trick, let's keep doing it. And I'd hate for Mitchell, who was cultivated under that to to go, well, that's my one trick also. See,
0: I would do something, though. Like If I was to bring in someone like Mitchell, who's who's got some um, assistant coaching experience across two clubs, I think it is, um, you'd look to go and maybe post someone like Choco or someone who's doing great guns with, with Melbourne at the moment, apparently, um, to come in and sort of oversee that coaching role and be that mentor-type role, um, maybe the uh, ear of experience, all that sort of thing. I think that would be the balance moving forward. Now, uh, Ross Lyon was, was interviewed, I think, on... Um, I was going to say, my last name here is Ross Lyon. <laughs> that strikes fear into me because, I mean, seriously, if you wanted someone who personified Collingwood's grand final success rate, he's the perfect coach to do that. Now, I don't think he'd be as bad as, um, as any of that. There are elements that I probably consider that he ticks boxes with, um, that he's what we want. He's a coach from um, a non-Collingwood environment. He does seem to bond well with with the players. I just don't know whether his game style... Well, Matthew Pavlich
1: rated him the best coach he played under. Pavlich is at free, I mean, he played under 29 coaches. But they've got that really right. low scoring, okay, very so defensive... Okay, so let me stop you. Let me stop right. you 2008, Saints averaged 96.6 points. 2009, they averaged 99.8 points. They got more than 100 points on 14 occasions. In two thousand and ten, they averaged eighty six points, so they did drop. But that was the year that Revolt tore his hamstring from the bone and was out the bulk of the year. Fremantle, so I'm only picking the years where they're like on the, you know, on the up. Um, two thousand and fourteen, Fremantle averaged ninety two points. In two fifteen, when Fremantle made the grand final, averaged eighty four point four points. So he's not as low scoring as people think. People think he's playing nine, ten goals. I mean, it sounds a lot too, because what are we we're averaging about what sixty points at the moment. we had a? We kicked seven goals, didn't we, on the week? We didn't even get the sixty. But if you look at the, the Saints one, so 96 and 99.8, for, uh, 100 points on 14 occasions. So he signs this score, but for some reason people... And i, I started to talk about this on Footy Classify, because he talks about the way the media dic- dictate the narrative irrespective of what the reality is. And he said the narrative was that they wanted to you know, say I was a defensive, stodgy coach, but I was actually kicking scores. The one thing I re- Personally. Yeah, Personally. The one thing I do recall with um, Line a few years ago, one year's at Fremantle. I think they said like in the first half of the year, they averaged sc- their score. Average scores were higher in the second half, so they were suggesting does the game plan wear on them, and as the season goes on, and then they just sort of run out of puff. But t- I mean, I love Line. I have heard he's. Um, or oh, I do question whether he can rebuild the club because he hasn't really done that. With St Kilda he came and there was like an existing playing list that was pretty Freo, entrenched, yeah.
0: and same at Freo. So I do query, can he govern young Well, player? that's what I so I listened to an interview he did with uh, Triple M, that's where he works, um, on the weekend that came out today. And he was talking about the need for- uh, how important <laughs> How important assistant coaches were. And he said, when, you know, look, he was asked a question about, would you be interested in a Collingwood job? Um, and when he did sort of answer in the positive, it'd be under the, the grounds of who the assistants were that he could get that were available, that fit the particular need he, um, he, he wanted because he was saying like yeah, the coaching landscape certainly changed a lot now but with, with the reduction yeah. of uh, numbers that you know, the importance of these people on the sides who are gonna have to do a lot more heavy lifting um, is, is gonna make his job a little bit uh, easier. So yeah, you do wonder um, whether there's a possibility that the, the senior coach is stretched too thin these days um, because of what's happened in the last uh, 18 months. But um, yeah, like it, it was interesting what he was saying around that, that um, clearly I'll tell you what frustrates me with the existing coaching setup.
1: So you have Buckley, who's been there since 2012. Uh, I think Harvey's been there for the same amount. And then Sanderson came a little bit into it. And then obviously we had other assistants who've now been cut. I think we had 26. We had the 26 coaches or whatever. I would always think that, you know what? Whatever the number is that assists you, half of them should be mainstays like your Robert Harvey's and Brenton Sanderson's and all that. Guys who are pretty much professional assistants and probably aren't going to get senior jobs or even guys who've been senior coaches but now are assistant coaches. And then the other half should be guys who are pretty fresh out of the game and really fucking ambitious and want their own coaching Mm. job. And you should get that good mix of stability and... Hunger. Hunger. And the, 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 the senior coach should be the guy who is the overseer there and going, okay, I've got to make... These work together. Uh, I'm going to take the best of both ideas, and I'm going to find compromises. Um, but you should have that constant injection of new ideas, fresh talent, all that. The biggest problem with, with the Buckley Harvey Sanderson triumvirate is just how long have you been together. What what could you tell me? What could you suggest that's going to be fucking new?
0: No, I heard it's that bad that they're finishing each other's sentences these days. That's a good one. Um,
1: one thing I think might salvage the the club is the Collingwood button.
0: I was going to say, do you want me to get the nuke out again? So,
1: this really surprises me that they released this thing. It costs like $49, I believe. I believe it could be more. It's not special
0: though. The
1: stock's getting quick. Because it said it was like $50 off. And it has things like, it's only got one quote here. You know, we'll put up the graphic. Side button. It's Sidey. Get me out of this thing. I think he's talking about the, uh, the, the contract. <laughs> of the club. Yeah, could be. So you push this button and it makes... Gives you quotes from players. What an innovation. Who the fuck thought this was a good idea at this time, at any time, but particularly at this time? Who would have thought that you'd fucking release
0: something? And and they justified it by saying that the the fans have been clamouring for more engagement from the club. Well, I was thinking a fridge magnet that talks to me with random shit would be exactly what I was looking for as a portal into the club. Well, I can only imagine that the people who are
1: clamouring for more engagement have... Fecal fetishes, Would they like to be shitter. That's what this is. Sure, Peter Dacos had this, um, I can't remember what it's was called, but he had this stats thing years ago, As electronic thing where you could count stats. Why don't you get a player like Peter Dacos or someone to put his name to a product, like something like that, saying, oh, you have a young child playing football, why not count his stats with the Peter Dacos stat meter or whatever the fuck, you know? S- something that actually, that would be a little bit more engaging a little bit
0: more interesting than a fucking Collingwood button. You really wonder, yeah, again, look, what, what you're saying on the back of you know, who decided this, did they go out to the fan base and say, is this what you want? Is this the sort of thing that you're interested in? Was there any research done? We should um, help them out on research. We're, we're, we're aces at it. Oh. Um, but but seriously, did you engage the fan base? Is this is this what you think they needed? I don't know why I'm looking at you in the in the camera like you're going to answer. But um, it, it's not what I've been ever thinking. I should have I've, I've needed on the on the fridge. Have you? Yeah, you know, I've, I've looked at the fridge in between the uh, the fish and chip shop uh, and the pizza takeaway magnet, thinking what would complement this is a talking magpie button.
1: I can't believe that. Like, all right, so how long has this been in development? How, I mean, you're at a the tech head, how long do you think this would take the... To... Well, no, it's
0: got Atari written next to it, so it's obviously been a while. <laughs> you
1: think, you think like, if someone came to me and said, what do you think Collinwood needs to do, I'd say, one, get some fucking fresh ideas in a coaching box, two, get your fucking salary cap in order, three, get your fucking list management in order, and then probably rate right about two to three million would be, maybe start fucking around with little toys that no one gives a fuck about. Jeez, I thought you were going to say four there for a minute. Oh, it's really... This is how out to of touch you are with your fan base. That and like the, the digital media manager, they just see where they showed the banner where they misspelt tonight, and they said this harkens back to two thousand and eighteen because we misspelt the word tonight on the banner van against Carlton, and that started our run to the grand final. Yeah, that was
0: exactly the thing that started our run. That's
1: that's what misspelling tonight. Yep, yeah, omens, and you're really fucking what. We're on the way to a grand final now? We're, we're going to call you out on that when it's mathematically impossible for us to make a grand
0: final which is in like about two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> two minutes. But seriously though, again, like, why would you be drawing attention to another year that you lost a grand final? Like, oh, what's, what's the sense in, in reminding people of that fact? Oh, look, let's go out and make the banner a fuck up like we did two years ago because we made finals that year and how did we finish that year? And Ah, th- fuck.
1: The other thing too is there's a stereotype of college sport as being morons. Well, geez, let's not perpetuate that at all by misspelling tonight. For fuck's sake! <laughs> fucking hell, this clubs. is... Re- it is seriously... I am halfway, you know... You get these petitions, and I'm really close, really fucking close to starting a petition that we just disband you and just save millions of people... The misery of having to support you year in, year out, and watching this shit. If you seriously think this is in touch with anything relating to football, to being an elite organisation, or anything, you seriously are fucked up on a level that cannot be measured by any metric. Anyway, I'm just about to press the button to find out what the score is going to be. To niggit. Do you care about about the jump of the bait about Porto Leiden? Couldn't give a fuck. I couldn't give a fuck, but they are starting to be
0: annoying with it, so... There's one thing on this though, the, the president, the little p, he could have made a stand on this. That could have been his first moment where he showed some kahunas and said, maybe port, you can go fuck yourself. But what did he end up saying? It was just something like, uh, oh, just, we'll wishy washy this, wishy washy there. No, it, was and very, it was very typical. We'll, 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 we'll look at it next year or something. Oh, we've given them, we said no this year, but we might think about it next year or something like that. I don't really
1: care about the jump, but I actually am getting really annoyed by their, their going on. Um, they came into an organisation that already had these trademarks in place and they came in with the understanding that you can't use them. And now 20 years or 30 years later, whatever the fucking long it is, they're running around going, oh, we never knew any of that, dude. Why aren't you letting us use them? Um, so they're actually getting really bothersome. I really think when we play North Melbourne this week, we should wear a Clash jumper and it should be Port Adelaide, the San NFL Port Adelaide jumper.
0: With a piping strike.
1: Yeah. So we should wear that and we should just go, oh, do you have
0: a problem with us wearing your jumper? Well, yeah. that's being a little bit short-sighted. You seriously you? get fucking sick of talking about it every year. And the thing is, the AFL said, oh, we've said no this year. So they're going to do this again yeah. at, at some point, probably very early in next year. And the and the circles will go round and round and round again. The media will will have a bit of a tug for two weeks about it. Uh, Kochi will um you'll puff up. What does he do? He Cockey. Puffs up. No, don't him, I don't know. I he me. just uh, I don't know. Is he well he compared Andy mm-hmm. Maguire to Donald Trump. Guys, it's like dealing with Donald Trump. He's probably got a funny funny joke then at least. But why would
1: you insult Donald Trump?
0: <laughs> so we're
1: playing North Melbourne this week. Oh goody! Um, North Melbourne the eighteenth. They have. Zero wins, and they have forty-nine point two percent. They're just as good as us. We are seventeenth.
0: Um, we have one... Any omens about that we should know about? What yeah. happened? What happened last time we were seventeenth? Do we give away draft picks? Probably. Do we trade our players? Do we blow Probably the salary it. cap?
1: Probably done it all. Um, it's
0: it's too hard to fit all that in a banner. Surely. One win. Thanks, Carlton.
1: Eighty-three point four percent. We'll, hit, cop that North. Uh, I don't know who the fuck we're going to play. I don't know who we're going to pick Even up. if we lose, we still win. Yeah. So, unless North keep us goalless and win by about five goals, they... I don't say it out too loud. North Melbourne have been competitive in first half, and then they tend to fall away. So, they haven't been able to well, see out a game... Well, the I funny mean,
0: thing is they were competitive for about three quarters... This week and then fell away. So we're probably going to go the full four quarters this week. We're
1: competing for about three and a bit of quarters. So like we're a little bit ahead. Over three weeks. Yeah. If we lost this, you can't see the coaching staff survive. It would be difficult. Um, Very difficult. At the start of the year when I looked at the the fixture for about the first seven weeks, I really thought it would be one to five or two to four after the um, first six games. And then we'd play these two and we'd get wins. And it would get a little bit respectable, and then we would just struggle. I really didn't anticipate we'd lose the Gold Coast. So well, I did. You, know, you did. I mean, you had a body of evidence of how shit we'd become. <laughs> um, it's really at a dire situation. They look so lost and disconnected from one another.
0: And that, and that's the problem. Is, is that you know what are you going to do and look at each other and say, um, how do we galvanise ourselves for this? Resign. Do we do we make a statement? What, what statement are we making, though? Because you're probably going to win this one game, the sheep will start believing that everything's back on track, and then you'll probably be obliterated for the next three or four and you're back to square one.
1: I think the biggest problem, and I said this uh, in between seasons, is, and I don't think they, th- they factored this in, is Jaden Stevenson, Adam Trelaw, and Tom Floor going to be running around every week this year. And it's going to be a constant reminder. If they have good season, it's going to be a constant slap in the face to every supporter who love these players and is now looking at the club and going, "Well, you inject those three players back into the side." And what about a few more games this year? It probably be. I mean, I think the biggest problem is still system. So even if they were there, it would struggle to an extent. But oh, you would have battled across the line yeah. on a couple of those games. Though. But you think like you would have beaten um, Brisbane in that case. Yeah, you'd probably would have beaten Essendon. And then, you know, you might have been GW, so You probably might be, you know what, well, we won six. You might be four and three. You probably would be four and three. And people will be going out there. Oh, we're taking a step back to take two steps forward. No, there's not two steps forward for quite a while now. There's probably further steps back. Um, I will be lobbying the AFL to create positions under 18, 19, 20, 20, I just want to see how far down we can go. Um, it's really also, I think, a reminder to the pl- to existing players who just sort of look at these guys and how they're doing and just sort of think, this is wrong. This is just fucking totally wrong. It just isn't the way it should be. We bonded to these guys. We lost a grand final together. We thought we'd win a flag together. We bonded and all. We had developed our camaraderie and you split us up. And now I'm just seeing these three guys run around and it feels fucking wrong.
0: And one of them's playing finals this year.
1: Yeah. So... What's your tip? Um, north by 184 points. I'll tip Collingwood by 28 points. But I couldn't really
0: give a fuck. No, well, this is a bit, well, good shot. Um, this is the way I expect it to pan out. We may have covered this before. In the dying seconds of the game, when we're five points up, we'll cough it up, it'll go up the other end, and Stevenson will kick the goal. Hold well on, Jane. Final thoughts? Um, Stevenson will kick the winner. That's it from us.
1: Like, subscribe, do all that sort of stuff. Hit us up on social media. Um, or hit us up. Buy us beer. Do we drink beer? No. Hmm. Later. See ya.